He's here. Amen. He is here. He is so here. And he said that if you ask me, I'll come. If you invite me, I'll be there. And so now what we have to do is say, God, continue to speak to us. Continue to reveal yourself to us. Um, so, yesterday I went out and seen Avengers, the Endgame, and I wanted to uh, share with you how the whole thing ends. <laughs> because it has, it's, it, it's a point for my message. <laughs> if I don't share it with you, then Jesus just won't speak this morning. <laughs> Spoilers no. will happen. No. No. Please don't. <laughs> um, all right. Well then, um, God have your way. Let not this movie derail us. But show, uh, show of hands, who's who's watched the, this final episode? Nobody. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Who's planning to go see it? All right. Is it on now? All right. It's the hype of of this year, and probably at the, all these movies. If you guys are not aware, uh, Marvel Comics is like this. Uh, animated thing, and DC is the better version of uh, Marvel. <laughs> so this morning what I was thinking of, we can DC fans and Marvel fans to separate the... Alright, on Mark chapter 3, uh, we've been talking about the Jesus effect. And uh, for the last few weeks, and we even the Jesus effect of the resurrection, last week we celebrated Easter, where most of the churches were packed up, packed out to capacity. And this weekend, mice have basically invaded the sanctuaries because <laughs> everyone's watching Endgame, of course. Um, no, but, uh, but we uh, celebrated Easter last weekend, um, the power of, of the resurrected Jesus. That's the one that we serve, and that's the one that we worship, that's the one that we sing to, and when we talk about Jesus, we talk about all that Jesus is, not just a teaching, not just some quote, not just that he even lived, but the fact that he lived and died and then resurrected, that is what the Christian hope, that's where the hope is, and that's what really distinguishes Christianity, Christ followers, from anyone else, from anyone, from any other followers in the world. You, we have to get that clear in our minds that Christianity is not a religion, even though people practice Christianity religiously. Okay? But Christianity is based on relationship. Amen. And relationship is the key. So if, you, if you've been going to church for 20 years and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, chances are high that you're probably not a Christian. Jesus does not save us so that we can attend service. I hope that you understand that because that's going to free you. Jesus doesn't save us so that we could just pray on a regular basis and read the Bible on a regular basis and that's it. Yeah. Jesus saved us so that he could have a relationship with us. Yeah. I mean, that is so powerful and that is the sum of Christianity. And we see that modeled in Jesus' life. And so the Jesus effect is that if Jesus built relationships within 
of the cities and the towns and the people that he was, where, where he was born and where he walked, the Jesus effect is that we, as Christ followers, follow in his footsteps. And um, I think that because our relationships are, are kind of fuzzy, we don't even sometimes know what kind of relationships is, what kind of relationship is required of us, or what kind of relationship are we supposed to even have with the Father through Jesus. And sometimes that could get fuzzy because um, if, if the relationship is just that God loves me and he's forgiven me and grace covers it all, and that's pretty much it, that becomes a really shallow relationship. But if the relationship is just that Jesus wants us to do things and that is it, that is also a very damaging and not freeing relationship. So it's very vital that we understand what kind of relationship Jesus had with his disciples and what kind of relationship he expects us to have and, and how he grooms us to that relationship. And it's a powerful, healthy, wholesome relationship. And hopefully, as we unpack this, maybe you'll be able to identify some of your stronger relationships in comparison with some of your weaker relationships, your everyday relationships. There are a lot of nuggets in Scripture. So if you're reading the Bible in chronological order, as you read it as a congregation, you begin to pick up on some thread, verbiage, some timeline things, some things that you may have not caught before just when, you, when we read just verses or stories. And so when you read through Scripture, you begin to see some really, really powerful powerful nuggets and I just want to highlight today one of those nuggets when it comes down to relationships and and being in this Jesus effect Jesus changes everything and if he infuses us with his spirit then we are called to change everything too that is hope that is purpose many people just do life and don't feel like they can really impact change and God wants to set us free from that because you and I have been empowered because we are the living Jesus effect. And if Jesus is the greatest thing on this earth and we are carriers of him, what more can we want? So the idea is that we need to figure out how does that look like. So I'll give some examples, but the main passage that I want to read today and, 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 and kind of like zero in is found in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So if you have, if you have your Bibles... You can turn there if you're on your device, you can click to it. And um, if, uh, if and if you have either, we'll have it on the screen. So let's read this and then I'll break it uh, break it apart. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles and disciples Jesus to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Okay, that's the two verses that I want to talk about this morning. Leading up to this, Jesus picked his apostles, and what he did before he even chose his apostles, he went to the mountain, and he prayed pretty much all night, the Bible says. He was with the Father all night, figuring out what this is going to look like. Because he's been asking people to follow him, but now he's appointing a illegitimate group of people that are going to dedicate their lives to following Jesus. Now notice, I didn't say dedicated their lives to Christianity, but dedicated their lives in following Jesus. And that still rings true to us today. When we say yes to Jesus, it's a dedication, not just a verbiage that may sound good. 
It's saying, God, I give you my life. Become a savior and also become my Lord. And this is the whole concept of the kingdom that Jesus preached. And so within the kingdom, there is relationships. And let's talk about these relationships. So if you go back to verse 14, there's a distinction. There's three parts. Um, part of this relationship and the other part is the action word. But let, let's look at the first one. So Jesus appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, right? So he's given them an identity. And that applies to us because when we say yes to Jesus, he gives us a new identity. We now reflect him. Now we belong to him. The old us no longer exists. We become brand new, a new creation. And so many people long for this and it's found in Jesus. It's not found in a larger house. It's not found in a married relationship. It's not found in having kids or having the right job. It's not found in being famous or infamous. It's not found in all these other things that many people chase after. Our full identity is found in who Jesus is. And because he is our creator, he has given us a name. And you cannot go wrong when you rely on your creator to identify you. You know, by the manufacturer, here's who you are. I mean, imagine if... Apple went and started telling Macintosh and Windows people how to do things. Wouldn't work. But Apple, when it tells its Apple users how to use things, what it is, what all those things are identified, it makes sense because Apple is a creator. So you, so in order to get the fullness of who we are, God invites us to step into this place with him where he gives us a new identity. And not just a new identity that he pulls out from thin air, but the person that you and I were originally created to be. Because this world has taken our identity and has distorted it, and no longer many people know who they really are. And you can tell them all the good things, but the reality is they will never know who they really are until God reveals to them. And as pastors or churchgoers, we can help and nudge, but at the end of the day, we are not responsible to revealing people's identity. They have to find it within Jesus. And that makes the relationship personal. And it's beautiful whenever you see that happen. So, let's go back to uh, verse 14. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Now, the first part is to be with him. I love this. To be with him. This is like an invitation. This is the relationship that many of us start off with. It is the power of being together. It's the power of hanging out, going to see Avengers together, going to <laughs> grab some pizza, going to the park, just hanging out, walking, eating, going on trips, chatting. You know, with Jesus, with Jesus, it was him walking with his disciples from village to village. It was him fishing with his disciples. It was them just doing what they did every single day within the context of relationship. It's intentional, but it's very invitational. So if I can get one person to come up here as a, as a, uh, a, uh, a mannequin. <laughs> Any volunteers? I need to see one person. Somebody, anybody? Three, two, one. We have... I have your 
right, Jimmy. Uh, I need to do three cartwheels. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, this first part is this whole invitational aspect is that, is that, that to be with him, just to be with him. It's basically, if you want to just sum it up in a word, it's, it's like basically me and Jimmy. Like, hey, and you can look at this as like a hug. You know, like, we're friends, we're buddies, things are good, you know, we hang out. I make him work. No, I don't. That's someone else's job. <laughs> but uh, we, we kind of become really relational in the sense of getting to know one another and just being normal humans. Many Christians don't know what it's like to be a normal human because they spiritualize everything. And that is not productive. That is not productive as being very super religious. And maybe the intentions are really good, but people need regular inviting relationships. You know, and so he invites me, I invite him, and we kind of hang out, you know, we do all this. So that's what Jesus did with his disciples. Now, most of our relationships are like that, and, and we, we can understand that. The second part of it, though, and then to send them out to preach. Now, invitational is, is, is one part of the relationship, to hang out, to be friendly, to know each other's thing. But then the second part, to send them out to preach. This is the challenge aspect of a relationship. And the challenge aspect of the relationship is basically uh, saying, hey, I'm friends, but, there's always a but, but I see something that you're doing that we need to talk about. So it goes from a hug to kind of a, in your face, I'm gonna challenge you. You're better than this. You can do it. Or correctional, where you're like, hey, I'm noticing X, Y, and Z, and I need you to think about this, and I can help you some, help some resources, or this is what I'm seeing, can we talk about this? You know, so I point and then say, hey, let's, let's chat about what this is. Does this make sense? So here's what happens. Most people are really good with this, but as soon as someone says, hey, you, it's like, whoa, all right, I'm gone. And this is where the relationship breaks down. Because then what happens is when you experience that, when you, when you, when you challenge your friend and they reject that, it kind of comes back on you and you're like, oh no. And so the next time that we have an opportunity to challenge someone, we hesitate or we stop challenging them altogether. And then all we do is just, oh, just hug. Oh, my friends are just huggy, 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 huggy. And then you put in a position where you cannot challenge them. And there's a very unhealthy relationship. And we see this demonstrated with Jesus, because Jesus is inviting them to share life, but then at the same time, he's challenging them to their potential. He's challenging them to rise up and to go. And so you have this really, you know, comfortable feeling, but then you have this really uncomfortable feeling, maybe even confrontational feeling. And so we have been trained this whole this thing goes back to truth and love. We, we were trained to love, love, love. But as soon as some truth enters the picture, into, enters the relationship, we, if we don't know how to receive it, 
then we got to back away and we think that the person who's just challenged me is wanting something, you know, ill for, for me. Then we become defensive and then if you do these over and over and over again, you will realize that you don't have any friends. Or if you do have friends who are just hugging you, they are not truthful and are not honest with you and become two-faced. Because you know what happens? If they don't tell you, then they tell the friends about you. And so then you're in a dilemma because the invitation is to share your heart and then when they challenge you, you feel like your heart has been betrayed and you've been stabbed in the back. And that's what Satan wants to do because he does not want us to be challenged. He just wants us to be hugged. And if you don't have a hug and a challenge, if you don't have an invite and a challenge, then the relationship is one-sided and it's very, very destructive in the long term, in the long run. And so what happens is this. If you guys can't, um, I had a little drawing thing, but it didn't really work out. But, but relationships are usually within these two parameters. Now, with the invite, let me do this. This would be our, our invite. Okay? Invite. Just, just Let's use our brains, minds, imagination. This is the invite. Now, invite, you can have high invite or low invite. You guys with me? High invite, hug. Low invite, hug, hug, hug. On this side is a challenge. This could be high challenge or low challenge. Right? So you have high invite, high challenge. Low invite, low, chal uh, low challenge. And so whenever there is a low invite and a low challenge combined, it becomes boring, a boring relationship. So if you come, and I'll use an example for church, because this is like a group of people that move away from us, a uh, one-on-one relationship, but to church. So if you come to church, and the church is really low invite and low challenge, which is not a good place to be, but many people find themselves, it become, people become, uh, there's apathy there, and people get bored. And they'll say things like, oh, they're not really friendly, you know, I don't really can't build a relationship, and, and then they're not being challenged, they just feel like they come, and, they, and then and they just leave. And it's kind of like, ah. And then it happens like, you know, I don't know if I should go or not go. Okay? Now, the other part is if you have, so that's, if that's a low invite and low, low invite and low challenge, it's like this boring relationship. If you go up and you go, if you, if you only serve high invite and high, um, let me do this. Let me do uh, High challenge and low invite. Be with me. So you have high challenge and low invite. So if the invitation is low, but when you come to a place, it's always about, hey, you gotta do this, do this, you know, be challenged, you know, um, uh, do, you know, uh, join this, become part of this. And it's always a challenge, it's always a challenge, it's always, but there's not this relational hug. Then that creates a very stressful relationship. Who's ever had one of those stressful buddies that the only time that they call you is that they need something from you or they want to correct you, they want to make sure, you know, but they're not really relational with you, they're not really a hugger, they're just pointing the finger at you. Um, but then if you vice versa, if you have a, 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 high, a, a high invite and a low challenge, 
Then it becomes like a cruise, cozy relationship. I get so much hugs, and once in a while, I'll have someone challenge something. But it's so minimal that it doesn't really impact me, so I'm just in this comfort zone, cozy zone. And I'm, and I'm all good, you know, and Danny, as soon as someone raises their challenge, I back off from that group of people. And so we have a lot of people who will leave church, or churches are maybe made up, where it's all like, you know, we're going to love you, hug you, you know, but they don't ask people to step up, they don't ask people to serve, they don't challenge them to read, or to pray, or to move. Uh, the, the church gets cozy, and as soon as someone asks them to do anything, then it gets this resistance. And there was, um, there was a church that it, it was kind of shaped in this way. And um, well, what happened is that it was really like high, um, high invite and, and low challenge. And whenever um, the pastor basically raised up his challenge, half the people left, like over, over, uh, over a weekend. Because they were not trained to be challenged in, in this kind of environment. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the churches in America are like that, where it's, uh, right. we call it consumer. I just want to consume, consume, right. consume. And God, forgive, God forbid if you ask me to do something. Come on. And this is why we have like 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Right. Because most people are really enjoying the coziness of it. I will come, I will listen, I'll get a hug, but please don't challenge me because I may just leave the church. But we see that Jesus, he had high challenge and high invite. He invited them to learn from him, to walk with him, to share life with him. But then, just as the invitation was high, the challenge were, was also high. And we read, if you can pull up the scripture in Mark, he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, to be with him, and then to send them out to preach. This is a very, very, very high challenge to his apostles. And Jesus is actually asking us the, uh, the same thing right now. And if you look at this verse really, really carefully, and if you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, you and I gravitate to be with him, to be with him. Yes, I just want to be with Jesus. And then we read the next part, uh, you know, to send them out to go preach. Okay, well, that's for the apostles. Like, like, who thinks like that? It's like, we pick this part that we're like, yay. And the next line, we're like, yeah, the early church. Come on. Oh, Lordy. Come on. Um, the woman to well. You see this beautiful because this, this is not just I need to know somebody but this is in every relationship and this is I guess the agenda is to be very inviting but also very challenging and so we see this whole thing with Jesus with the woman at the well he um, he comes to this well and um, and this woman is drawing water from the well right and uh, and then he just says you know starts talking to her like, and invite me hey can you draw me some water this is something that was really surfaced, that it was, there was a connecting point between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, very down to earth. It was nothing spiritual or, or religious. It was just, hey, I'm thirsty. You know? And so this invitation to the conversation was just that. 
And if you, um, um, I want to read some of this. This is found in John chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus asked her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you the living water. You see how this is like an, an, an inviting, a hug, like God has something amazing for you and I, and, I, and, I'm, and I can give you things that you're really looking for. And then she says, sir, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep. And she goes on to talk about how it's impossible for Jesus to draw water. And then the, the conversation goes, and then it goes into the spiritual conversation. So you, you see this beautiful hug. Jesus, if you can envision, Jesus just comes and hugs this Samaritan woman. And hugs and talks and talks and chats with her. And then if you bump up to verse, let's see, 18, let's go to 16. Then he says, go, call your husband. And he told her, and then come back here. Now this is kind of a challenge because all of a sudden she says, I don't have a husband. And then he says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, she said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have is true. And then the woman's all of a sudden like, well, you must be a prophet. And then that triggers her to even more deeper conversation. Well, you see how Jesus did? He chatted with her. He connected with her. And then at the same time, he challenged her current relational situation. So gently, he's like saying, hey, go get your husband. She's like, whoa, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. And a lot of times the prophets, if you think about it, the prophets, their job is to really bring God's word to people and basically correct them or, 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 or give a voice to guidance. Especially in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, um, you know, with the uh, first four Gospels, um, the prophets were really distinct personalities. They were not just random people. It was like distinct. It was like one prophet or two prophets, like per per century or per per not century, but like per um, in Israel. You know, we have Samuel, um, Elijah. We have a few of these prophets, and so whatever God spoke was very clear and very distinct. And it wasn't just, "Hey, I just want to let you know that God loves you." It was more like. God is wanting you to do something. It was this challenging word. And we see this beautifully painted out because as Jesus embraces her, things get exposed. The story continues as she goes back to the village, which is the challenging part as well because now she has to go back and talk to all the people she knows and, tell, and tells them, hey, this, this person told me everything I knew. He must be the Messiah. And her, the result of her challenge and her accepting the challenge was pretty much, the story goes historically, it's not in the Bible, but from what I understand in history, was, she ended up launching a church in Samaria. But you see this beautifully played out. Um, another, if you go to John chapter 13, you have this moment before Jesus' death, where they're up in the room during the Passover festival, and verse 6, he started to wash people's feet. And in verse 6, we read, He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And this was a serving. This was like an embrace because Jesus, as the one who's their teacher, who's their rabbi, should not be washing his disciples' feet. It should be the other way around. And Jesus was just basically doing something in a way where it's like, look, 
Watch me. I'm gonna give you a hug. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you into what I'm getting ready, to, what I'm doing right now. And that invitation led to a conversation. And Peter's like, "You will never wash my feet." Verse eight. And Jesus replied, "If I don't wash you, you have no part with me." Then verse nine. Simon Peter said, "Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head." And then verse ten. And Jesus says, "One who has been bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet." But he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who betrayed him. As he going, verse 12, when Jesus had finished washing the feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Now this is after he's invited them, after he's hugged them, he's this is the challenge. He says, Do you know what I've done for you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since this is what I am. Verse 13. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. This is the challenge. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Amen. I think that it's just so beautiful because the disciples would have never been able to do what they did without understanding this relationship concept of being very invitational and being very challenging. And when you have both of those, you may ruffle some feathers, you may have some sparks flying between the two of you, but at the end, the relationship grows stronger and stronger. And anyone who's married knows that. If all you do is love and avoid everything, and, and if you say we never fight, the chances are good that you're very high inviting, a very low challenge-wise. Because the friction comes whenever a spouse is being challenged. Quit watching that. Go do something. <laughs> Clean up the yard. Change the diapers. Let's go on a date. You know, let, let's do this, let's do that. It's a challenge to this, honey, I love you, but let's, you know, or, you, you know, you, you have your temper, horrible, you know, or just anything else. Those things that, 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 that we reveal, it's really healthy whenever we have friends around us, spouses in our lives that can both, you know, invite us, love us, hug us, and also be able to point a finger in our chest and say, you're better than this. You're greater than this. There's more potential in your life than this. And this is not, a, this is not always like a correcting someone does something wrong, but it's also, it's actually calling out the potential from within them. He was not telling his disciples, you know, you know, go and preach because you're lazy. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, you sinners, go do something. You know, I love you, but please get up and do something. It was not at all like that. And a lot of times when, when we have someone, you know, like challenging us, we take it as a correction. Like someone's always just trying to correct us. And they're just like, oh, I don't want to be correct, corrected. So this is not a correction, even though it could be a correction. But this is a challenge. This isn't, I'm going to invite you to my life and I'm going to challenge you to step out. And the challenge is always met with resistance. And Satan wants to keep us from stepping into the challenge. That's where the resistance, where resistance is, is pretty strong. Oh yeah, the resistance is really low. No, strong resistance because you're, you're resisting, you're resisting this challenge. You just, you know, you want to be cradled. <laughs> <laughs> and hugged. <laughs> he doesn't want to be hugged. He just wants to be challenged. We need both. 
We need both. And so with the relationship with Jesus, it is that. Where God's like, hey, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you rest. You'll find peace and joy. I will love on you. You'll know what it's like to be loved. You'll know what it's like for me to pay attention to you. You'll know what it's like. But I cannot lead you if you're not walking. I cannot direct your life if you're not, if you're going to stay in the same place. So the challenge is not to become more religious, but the challenge is to step into who we truly are to begin with. Mark, I love that Mark captures this. Now one more example. Um, Jesus is talking, this is found, I'm not going to read it, it's found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And after Jesus is known, there's word about Jesus. And he's like, so, what's the word? What's the latest tweet about who I am? What are people saying? What are my reviews? What does Ron Tomato say about me? And so all his disciples are like, oh yeah. Jesus, they think that you're this prophet, that prophet. They think all this, all this. So you see that Jesus is inviting them into this like, conversation, like talking, dialogue. And they're, they're thinking about it. They're, they're recounting, you know, stories. And, and you know, sometimes when, when we read that, we think like something they just said, hey, you know, they, you know, they just think that you're Elijah or a prophet. But imagine the conversation. It's like, hey, this one guy, he came up and he told me that he thinks that that the one I'm following is Elijah. Because in the Old Testament, we read about Elijah's story, and here's what Elijah did. And I'm sure they probably started talking about Elijah's story. You know? And the guy's like, that is pretty cool. But someone else, they said that you're like Moses, you know? And they go into the story of Moses. And so you have this really warm, engaging, you know, like we're part of a crew and people are talking about us. And they're comparing us to not Pilate and the Romans, but the prophets. Woohoo! But then the challenge comes in when Jesus is like, but who do you say that? Wow. Who do you say that I am? And I think this is where we are with our church. And I know I've teased a lot about a lot of changes that are happening within our church. And uh, probably next week, we'll set a little vision Sunday where we'll be sharing all of the, all of the, ch all of the ch uh, changes that are happening here. Um, but one of the things that, that's happening is a change, the thing that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, where this whole concept of intentional adoption, where we begin to become focused on those people around us. That is the challenge part. You're invited to a relationship with God. You're invited to read scripture, to worship, you know, to trust God, to go on a limb. And now the challenge is to go and begin to preach the gospel of the good news to those all around us. And that is going to, you know, challenge us. That is risky. And last um, couple weeks ago, we talked about what that may look like practically. And so what I would really love it's just for us to begin to, you know, ask God, say, okay, God, you love me. You, you show up in my life. You've answered my prayers. And now, how do I go about stepping into this challenge, the challenge of Jesus? One of the last things that he said to his disciples is to go 
baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, guiding them, making disciples. Because this is the Jesus effect. If Jesus' life impacted our life, then our life will impact the lives around us. Does that make sense? That's just what's going to happen naturally. And so I'm just curious because one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is um, be, you know, adopting and reaching out. And uh, the idea is to do this intentionally. And a couple of weeks back, uh, who, who was here, you guys um, got a sheet that had basically five categories of people. And um, we'll probably post this, um, maybe even email it to you guys who weren't here this week. But the idea is to begin to jot down all the people who are far from God. Um, everyone from our blood family. Write all these names down on a paper that's being intentional about people. And that's going to be challenging because it's going to take some time for us to actually think about the people. And, and it's one thing if we know someone who's, you know, um, who's not saved. But it's another thing to write their name down if, if they have wronged us. Or if we have a hard time forgiving them. But the challenge of this next season within our church life is that we are going to reach our city with the gospel. And our city is made up of individual people. And in this room alone, if we began to reach out, we can impact probably 500 people throughout the next year. That is the challenge. It's good to come in here to sit and then to go home and go about our business. But the challenge is to go out, to speak, to engage people, and first and foremost, even, to begin to pray. So um, we have some lists. I think they're in the back and we can have some. But the, the step that we want to do as a church, this next um, step together, is to write down our family, our friends, our co-workers, all these people who are far from God, and write their names down. If it takes you, you two pages, three pages, just the first thing is to write every single name down. Once you write all the names down, you can take a picture of it, you can email it to us. Because what we want to do is we want to gather all of these names. And the first step in being intentional about these names is not just to call them out of the blue and say, hey, um, yeah, you want to come to church? That's not, that's, not what we're, we're, that's not what we're doing. The first thing that we're going to do together as a church as in, and as individuals is to step into the most powerful tool on planet Earth. That is prayer. Begin to pray for the lost siblings, parents, grandchildren, children, and then go into relatives, uncles, aunts, nephews, nieces, all those who are far from Christ, and begin to intentionally pray. We have a prayer, we have a pastoral care team as a church, and they'll be praying, we'll be praying for those names every single week. Because that's the first thing. And then as we begin to pray for them, the next step is to be to engage God and say, okay, God. Begin to open the doors as how I need to begin to engage with these people. And I understand this sounds like, you know, like, oh, very uncomfortable. But that's part of the challenge, you see. That's part of relying on God saying, God, you give me some amazing news. I've experienced something so amazing. It's out of this world. My life has been changed and dramatically impacted by this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom of God. And, and, and maybe it may be hard to begin to engage people, and maybe we lose to say, God, just revive this thing within me. Maybe it's been years before you felt compassion 
for other people. Just begin to say, God, begin to look at their names, the faces and stories behind those names and faces. That's going to create compassion within us. Because the way that we're going to reach a city is by going out. The way that the church is going to be filled is by us going out and engaging people. And it's not about just inviting them to church, but introducing them to Jesus who can save their lives and who can set their course in a direction that they never dreamt about. And people are just waiting. People are just waiting for someone to come and share good news with them. That's right. Everywhere you look, they're waiting. So what we're wanting to do is be very strategic. We want to be able to build relationships with them. We want to be able to invite them, to hug them, listen to their story, and then also at the right time, challenge them. And I promise you, you will begin to experience the kingdom of God coming to life in your life. A lot of us, we hear about amazing things. Someone prayed for me. I got saved. Someone came to my door and, and they led me to Jesus. And when we're not engaging in those things, we're not witnessing life change firsthand. And when we're not witnessing life, hand, uh, life change firsthand, we can become stale and even cold to the gospel. You know the concept of, of not knowing what you have until you lose it? It's that kind of and that, that kind of a mindset. But when you begin to become intentional, I promise you, something's gonna begin to burn within your heart. The feeling that when, when you first, when you first came across as Jesus, when he first touched your life, that feeling, that compassion, those tears, that, that sense of future hope and destiny, that excitement, that boldness, that courage, that joy is going to begin to rise within you. Because the last thing that Jesus said, and it's powerful. We go back to, the, to, to, to um, Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. He says, he invited them, and then he says, and he said, go into what I'm asking you to go into. Let me pull that over here. He said, be with me and then to send them out to preach, to have authority, because once you know who you are, that's authority that God has given you, so you're not just coming in your own accord. You're not just coming on your own merits. God has given you authority to represent the kingdom of God. And then he said, and give you authority to drive out, the last verse, to drive out demons. Amen. to drive out demons. That's right. How many of y'all know that too many Christians carry too many demons? That's right. And a lot of times we may think that it's talking about possession. Oh, someone is demon-possessed. We need to call a priest or Sergio to go cast them out, you know. We've seen too many horror movies and portrayals of the spiritual world and so and again when you look at demons you're like okay that's for the apostles too I'm just gonna be with Jesus and we'll just hug but what this is saying is that I'm gonna give authority to drive out demons that's right you know the devil is all about destroying and stealing 
and killing people. That's darkness, the kingdom of darkness. But we have been infused with the kingdom of light. And so just by engaging a person, the devils are already like shepherding. The demons of depression, the demons of suicide, the demons of lack, the demons of unhealthy mindsets, the demon of you name it. And if Christians are wrestling with so many demons, and I, and I can almost say that many times we wrestle with the demons because we have not fully stepped into who we really are. That's right. You know, we don't need a priest or a pastor to come and, and anoint our house and anoint this and anoint that and do all that. No, you have been given the authority Amen. to trample on demons, to pray over your house, to pray over your siblings, to pray over your family, to pray over your co-workers. And they all have demons. They all have demons. But God has empowered us to begin to challenge the demons, to, be, to challenge the mindsets. So when light enters in, darkness begins to give way and step aside. And this sounds so good and so spiritual, and it's so easy to write this off for someone else to do someone else's description. I just, I just work at the factory. I just bag people's groceries. I just do this. I just do that. When you have this mindset that this is not for you, you have allowed Satan to come and rob you of experience in the kingdom That's right. of God. Yeah. Amen. You want to take that back? Step into this challenge. Put yourself out there. Someone spells faith as R-I-S-K. That's right. And the people who God moves through their life are the people who are engaging the darkness. And whenever you're first stepping out, things going to do everything to keep you from it. Everything, even to pray, even to make your list. Some of you were here a couple weeks ago and you got this list and you're like, I'm going to do it. And as soon as you left church, you forgot all about it and the list is empty and the devil has won. Something so simple as to write people's names on paper and begin to pray for them. When we do that, you will become empowered. And all of a sudden, whenever you see your niece, or your uncle, or your brother, you're not going to be like, oh, that's weird, I bumped into them. You're going to be like, this is a divine appointment. Boom, your mindset is, is changing. All of a sudden you see them and it's not like, it's a fluke. You're like, oh God, I've been praying and they're here. Oh no. <laughs> what do I do now? I said, I will tell you. I will show you. I will guide. In the meantime, Satan's like shivering in the back. The demons are shivering in the back as you've stepped up. I've stepped up. We've accepted the challenge to reach the city. We've accepted the challenge to step into the kingdom of light, to begin to walk out the kingdom of, of light. And I promise you, what you lost, you will begin to see it and sense that being reignited within your heart. And that's my prayer for our church, is that we begin to see that, because I promise you, 
God is going to come to our city, to your family, to your coworkers like a wave, and they're not going to know what hit them. And you are going to be a part of that. And you are going to be a part of that. Yes, you. Don't say no. Don't say it's not you. God wants to use you. Paul said, I'm the least of these apostles. And Jesus appeared even unto me. Because in God's kingdom, we all have equal access. So if you guys rise, Father, I thank you for being a good God. I thank you that you've come around, that you've died on the cross, that you've resurrected, that you've invited us to partake in the life of hope, in the life of promise, in the life of freedom. And this is why we pray, God, you come, you have your way. You come, you lead the way. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that courage and boldness rises within each and every heart. That the flame that may have died gets rekindled here and now. That the purposes that we thought were lost, God reintroduced them. We don't need a ton of people. We just need a few who will say yes to you. God, I just pray that you remind us who we are. Remind us that we are empowered. Remind us that you have gone before us, that you're gonna go with us. God, I thank you for each and every person that is here. I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I thank you, God, that this year is going to be a year that marks their destiny. God, I pray for all the lost people in our lives. God, maybe our siblings are far from you, Father. We're praying right now that you reach them, that you touch them wherever they are. Maybe our spouse or our grandchildren. God, or maybe our uncles or aunts. God, we begin to just pray for our family right now, Father, that you begin to reach them. I thank you, God. With you, all things are possible. And as you said us, Father, we go gladly, willingly, joyfully, with high expectation for what we'll begin to see your life lived out through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So you know, uh, final little thing. Raise your hand. Repeat after me. Raise your hand. Repeat after me. Come on. Come on. Say, I will. I will. Repeat. Repeat. After Sergio. <laughs> no, no, keep, keep it. Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Send me. If you mean it, raise yes. your other hand. Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Send me. Not yes. tomorrow. Not tomorrow. But today. Today. God. God. This is our heart's desire. Let it be as we have decreed. 
in your name, for your name, 